0: and welcome back to a fresh episode of the business growth show i'm your host sam dunning co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com and today i'm joined by ben leonard ben's the founder over at ecombrokers.co.uk and he has grown and sold a seven-figure e-commerce business and it took him just three short years ben a warm welcome to the show sir how are you doing good to be here
1: thanks for having me sam
0: No worries, dude. So looking forward to this. We're going to be chatting all things e-commerce, online businesses, growing, and how
1: easy or how difficult it
0: is to sell one. So I want to throw you in at the deep end, as I do with many of my guests. sir. And um, I want to know, can any Tom, Dick, or Harry, can they start an online store, an online business, and can they sell it after selling a few products? Is it as easy
1: as that? Unfortunately not. Um, Any Tom, Dick, or Harry can Start an online business, scale it up and then sell it. But you can't just decide one day after you've sold a few products. Oh, this is worth tons. I'm gonna to sell it tomorrow. It's not quite as simple as that, I'm afraid. There's quite a lot of work that has to go into it.
0: Got it. Got it. So
1: let's let's
0: talk about that. Let's talk about kind of really keen to to learn myself and share with our audience what makes an e-commerce business get to a point of where it's ready to. When, it, when it's ready to sell in terms of kind of the revenue generated um, and what, what really adds value to a business, I guess. So perhaps if you want to share a bit about your
1: experience and we can talk about talk along that along the way. Sure. Yeah. Well, so I'll give a bit of background so that people kind of understand where I'm coming from with this. Um, I got into e-commerce in late 2015, early 2016. Um, my background before that was science, um, ecology. And um, I had to to stop work for a while because I had a heart problem. I'm I'm fine now. But I also had to stop my fitness hobby. So uh, for whilst I was recovering, no more boxing, no more CrossFit, no more running around like a maniac. And I was pretty bored and pretty miserable and needed something to do. And so I had this idea to create a brand of fitness equipment because I felt like the equipment I had could be better, um, could be better quality and could be better value for the for the quality and so i created a brand of fitness equipment which was called beast gear and it turned out i was pretty good at it um i i ended up quitting my job i scaled that business up and after about three and a bit years it was doing around uh four million pounds in sales and i sold it um in late 2019 which was right before the current explosion we're seeing in buying and selling e-commerce businesses right and when I sold it, I sold it through a broker and the experience with that broker could have been better. Um, there were things that they did that they could have done better and things that they didn't do at all that they could have done. Uh, fortunately, uh, my accountant, who looked after the accounts for my business uh, beast gear, she has about 20 years mergers and acquisitions experience and she rode in uh, my she was my knight in shining armor and saved the day. And uh, we did a, a fair bit of work together to, to fix the issues, which um, the silver lining was I actually was able to negotiate down the commission of the broker because they hadn't done their job properly. And so at the end of that process, we said, well, there's a gap here to, to give e-commerce business owners a better experience. We right. can combine our skill sets, me on the e-commerce side, understanding what it is like day-to-day to run an e-commerce business. And Alison, my co-founder, on the accountancy side and the M&A side. And so that's kind of what, what led us to this point and And I guess led, led to your question about you know, what it takes to be able to, to sell an e-commerce business. Sure. Um, and it needs to really be two things. And those two things are, they're almost, but not quite one and the same, but they're just very, very linked. And, and, and whatever affects one also affects the other. And that's, they, the business needs to be sellable and valuable. Okay. So, for instance, if you're selling a, uh, a random mishmash of products, um, potentially on one sales channel, say your own, your own Shopify site. Um, there's no particular cohesive brand and you're relying perhaps on one source of traffic. That's not very sellable, nor is it very, Even uh, valuable. if you're doing big numbers, it might be, so it might in theory be quite valuable, but it's not very sellable because your business isn't very strong. You don't have a very wide moat around it of protection. You're reliant on traffic from one source. So let's say Facebook ads. If your Facebook ads get shut down, you're at a pickle and you have no real IP or brand identity around the business because it's a mishmash of me too products that anyone else could do. And that's not a, you need to put yourself in the shoes of who might buy your business. It's not an attractive proposition. Nobody really wants to buy that. What you've created is a perfectly fine job, but it's not a business especially if it relies on you. So that's another aspect of what makes a business um, sellable is how transferable is it. And an easy way to gauge how transferable your business is, is if you fall down the stairs tomorrow and break your legs and have to go to hospital for a while, will it run without you for a, a decent chunk of time? And if the answer is yes, then that's great. You've got a pretty transferable business. If the answer is no, then you don't. And is a good time to start making it more transferable by uh, developing systems and processes such that uh, other people can look after it for you. So they could be employees or they could be freelancers, or you might have um, a fair amount of automation built into your business. That makes a business quite sellable because it lowers the costs, which makes it attractive to a potential buyer and it increases the value. So maybe you're automating social media, pay-per-click, chat bots, inventory management, traffic, email flows, receipt. All that types of things. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I've rambled on a bit. There's tons more things to make businesses. Let's,
0: yeah, let's unpack that a little bit. So, in terms of those, those are some great points. So, the business needs to be sellable. It needs to be valuable. I like that. So, just to dive into the first point, Ben. So, you, you mm-hmm. mentioned. Was it not having one single type of product or not having a product that's easily resellable by other companies that could just pick up the same product or brand, having something a bit more unique? Is that what you meant as the first point? Or is is that off-base? Yeah, uh,
1: if you have a a Shopify site or an Amazon account or whatever it is that sells a a mishmash of products with no brand identity behind it, that is a much more difficult sell than if you have built a, a suite of products that is a brand that solves a series of related problems for a particular group of people. So, for instance, um, you might have a knitting brand, and you have a, a a an almost evangelical following of knitting fans who will buy your new products again and again because they appreciate what you stand for within the knitting community, and they are yep. following you all over uh, Pinterest and Instagram and TikTok. This type of stuff. Whereas, if you're drop shipping, or even not drop shipping, random stuff. That's really not very sellable. And that was, that's very much of the, um, the e-commerce gold rush days of 2014, 15, when everyone right. thought we can just do that on Amazon or Shopify and, uh, make a ton of money and you, you could, but you couldn't build a sellable asset doing that. Got it. So we're talking about,
0: I guess it's a little bit like in B2B understanding your ICP, your ideal client profile. So we're talking about knowing exactly who you're selling to. Building a brand around that, that solves a certain problem that these idle customers care about solving and yep. then focusing on that audience rather than just trying to sell casting open a wide open net, trying to sell to anyone and everyone. You've got to kind of hone in
1: on who that's you exactly want to help, why you want to help them. It's, it's it's basically build a brand. That's 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 the, the the best way to do it. And so some potential clients that I speak with have unfortunately fallen into the trap of not really doing that, but it's not too late. Because within that mishmash of products, they probably have, you know, let's say they're doing 20 SKUs. Uh, they probably have five that are, are closely related to each other and another three that are closely related to each other and another four that are closely related to each other. Yep. And those are opportunities to actually take some time and develop those groups of products into, you know, brands or micro brands, if you prefer, and and take the time to strengthen the business and make it more sellable and valuable, such that in another 12, 18 months it is a more attractive proposition for a buyer
0: yeah yeah so in without going into this in too much time ben and feel free to use yourself or any prospects or clients as an example was there any way that you define that yourself or was it just through your own pain that you put together your business your proposition your target audience is there any kind of secrets or any tips that you could advise someone that's looking to for a quick way to hone in on who they can sell to and the problem they can solve
1: yeah, um, I guess the first question you should, the first thing you should always focus on is people rather than products. It's not about what you can sell, it's about who you can sell to. Yep. And it really helps if you're trying to scratch your own itch. So solve a problem that you care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, um, we mentioned Shopify a couple of times. The founder of Shopify, Toby Ludke, uh, developed, was trying to develop a website to sell his own snowboards realized actually the itch there was having a platform on which to build an e-commerce website simply for a non-coder and so he scratched his own itch and built shopify for example if you want to build a knitting brand please make sure you love knitting that type of thing yeah um so that's what it's about it's about understanding the problems that your your customers have and developing a suite of products to solve those problems and then in terms of telling that story um a fantastic framework that i'm a big fan of is the story brand framework by donald miller very so good it's, Love it. it's phenomenal it's, it's so simple and it just works so read a book called building a story brand by donald miller and he's written several others that kind of slot in there and help and focus on 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 that building a brand and one of the mistakes i see people making as well is they get too bogged down in um nitty gritty stuff like you know they're trying to find a trick or a hack to find a product to sell rather than just think about what what am i passionate about and what can i build a brand around and then it's not about where you're selling it it's not about becoming you know a, a, an amazon uh expert or a shopify expert it's about having a brand which sells on multiple sales channels so one thing that will make your brand um more sellable and valuable is diversification and and that goes right across the business so having multiple sales channels. So you could be selling on your own site on Shopify. You could be selling uh, on Etsy. You could be selling on Amazon. yeah. And then diversification in terms of uh, markets. So are you selling in the UK? Are you selling in the EU? Are you selling in the US? Diversification in terms of SKUs. I'm not saying you need hundreds. A, a sweet spot would be between you know three and 30, I think. Um, and traffic. Have you got a diversified... Um, range of traffic sources such that if if your Facebook ads account gets shut down for whatever reason or the rules change or new regulation comes into your industry about what you can and can't advertise and where you can and can't advertise it, you're not in a pickle because you have a diverse range of traffic sources. So that's important. And
0: this is just good business sense, right? So because oh, yeah. this is stuff I, I ramble on about on LinkedIn on the podcast all the time. Don't put don't place all your all your eggs in rented or in one basket or on rented land. It's just yeah. like you say, if your business is relying on one channel, be that LinkedIn, be that Facebook, be that social ads, be that pay per click, be that SEO, Google Ads, whatever the heck, email marketing, whatever that channel is, if that crashes, if that burns down tomorrow, your business is screwed.
1: So like Completely. you say, Yeah, I mean and make sure. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And one of the things that the happy side effects of this is when you make your business more sellable and valuable, it your business is naturally becomes more efficient and will scale anyway. And so yeah. that's why a lot of people, some people listening might be saying, but I love my business. I don't want to sell it. And I never want to sell it. Well, I would argue that uh, probably one day you are going to want to sell it, because if you take a step back and say... What am I going to be doing in five years, 10 years, 15 years? Are you going to want to still do it? Are you going to have to get up and go to still doing it? Are your kids going to want to take it on from you? How has the industry changed? What has how has the technology changed? Have you kept up with that? What about the competition that's flooding in from all over the place? Probably one day there is going to need to be an end game and it's probably going to need to be a sale. So if you start making your business more sellable and valuable now, knowing that you don't want to sell just yet, but further down the line, the good news is that when you do wake up in three years time and say, you know what? I think I want to sell you're you've done half the battle is won because your yep. business is really neat and tidy and ready to go. And there's a great book, another book recommendation, uh, it's called built to sell by John Warlow Fantastic book, which if okay. you read and implement the advice in that, even if you don't want to sell your business, your business is going to really, really come on a lot from it. Great.
0: Make a, make a note of that, Chuck that in the episode notes. Cool. All right, Ben. Um, so there's, there's a lot more to discuss, but I, mm. some, some great points there around kind of not relying on one channel around making sure that your business can still run if you're not around, which I'm sure I've kind of fallen guilty of before. And I'm sure a lot of people are stuck in that point. So if you, if you get injured, if something tragic happens to you, you've still got the, I guess the systems, processes, staff, whatever it may be in place to keep it flowing, keep it growing. Um, excuse the Ryan. So with that all said, once we've, once we've got these points in mind, we're thinking about making it sellable, we're thinking of making it valuable, hmm. how do we get it to the point where we know we can sell it, I suppose, if if we think, yeah, we're, we're selling a good amount of stock, we're, we're driving some good revenue, things are going quite well, does there just become a point where one day where we say, yep, yeah, it's sales time, or are there several things we need to consider before
1: yeah. it's ready to, I guess, bring it to the marketplace? So the answer to this question is uh, multifaceted, and part of it is qualitative, and part of it is quantitative, and part of it is emotional. So um, let's start with a a pretty simple uh, way of talking about it. Uh, You want to sell your business when it's growing, but you haven't maxed out growth, because a potential buyer wants to see growth. And see that there will still be growth after they have bought it, because of course they want to buy the business which is growing and then accelerate that growth and probably exit themselves further down the line. So you don't want to have maxed out growth; you want to leave some meat on the bone. That's part of it. The other part of it is to reverse engineer the exit, because you need to know you need you you need to know what you're going to sell the business for, right? How how much you're going to sell it for, and you 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 need to have a magic number in your head probably so a great way to a great way to think about this is find out regardless of whether you want to sell now six months or three years from now or never is find out now what your business is worth either by and i can explain in a few moments how you can do that yourself um yeah which won't be as accurate as working with an expert find out now what your business is worth and then consider that in terms of your industry and the way it's going and your personal life and what would be your magic walkaway number. And think about, well, how do we get from A to B? Because otherwise you're just navigating, you're orienteering without a map or a compass and you don't know where you are. Yeah. So if you find out what your business is worth now and what you would like to sell it for, you can then reverse engineer that exit. You can stack up the dominoes of the things you need to do to get there, to make your business as valuable and sellable enough to to sell it for that price. Of course, yep. provided that's a realistic goal. <laughs> you know, I do talk to people who are on another planet sometimes, and I have to bring them back down to earth. Because unfortunately, as much as they may, you know, they may want to sell their business for, for 10 million, the market doesn't lie, and it's never going to be worth 10 million. Gotcha. And then,
0: sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, so you'll probably go on to this, Ben, but what are some of the tools or some of the ways that we can do that exact process? Yep. So yeah, we can work out the magic number we want to sell to, but how can we realize what our business is worth right now? So yep. we can
1: start planning where we need to get to. So I guess the, the question really then is, is how do we value an e-commerce business? Um, and in I'm going to, for the purposes of this podcast, because there's a, a, a broad audience, I'll keep it uh, pretty simple, but there's always exceptions. Basically we multiply the trailing 12 months performance by a multiple. So people listening will be like, well, what do you mean by performance? Well, we measure the performance of the business on the trailing 12 months. SDE which stands for seller's discretionary earnings, which is basically your net income plus some add backs and adjustments. And I'll explain what those are in a moment. Or we measure it according to your trailing 12 months. EBITDA, which is your earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Um, let's keep it simple and talk about SDE, because in e-commerce, more often than not, we talk about SDE. Okay. It basically represents the entire financial benefit that your business would provide to one full-time owner-operator, even if it's not going to be bought by a full-time owner-operator. It's just the way that we we think about it. So we, we take your, your SDE, which, as I mentioned, is basically your net income plus addbacks and adjustments, and we multiply it by a multiple. So what are addbacks and adjustments? Um, add backs basically are costs which the new owner won't have to bear. And they can come in several forms. They might be uh, personal expenses. So uh, your salary, maybe you're putting your internet through the business, maybe you're putting your health insurance through the business, travel, that type of thing. New new owner of the business isn't going to have to take care of that, particularly if it's a larger organization that's absorbing your brand into their wider ecosystem. And then we have one-off costs that simply won't apply. So for instance, um, you've recently had some trademarks uh, done by an attorney. It's not going to have to be done again. That's an ad back. Your videography that you just had done on a product, not going to be done again. That's an ad back. The photography, the translation, the copywriting, not going to be done again. That's an ad back. And maybe you have recurring costs that won't apply to a new owner. You're paying for various software packages. You've been paying for some consulting. You've been paying an agency to manage your pay-per-click. None of that's gonna be done by the new owner. So that's all add back. So we're taking uh, lines from the, the last part of your PL statement and removing them and boosting your profit effectively, boosting your, your seller's okay. discretionary earnings. And then adjustments are a little bit more uh, complex these are changes that recognize change in the p l in the last 12 months Um, and the reason we make these adjustments is to recognize what is the true value of the business to the new owner on day zero that they purchase it so for example uh, suppose you're selling uh, sunglasses and three months ago you negotiated a lower price with your supplier for your sunglasses well if we're valuing the business on the trailing 12 months performance that new lower price is only gonna benefit you for the last three months since you um, negotiated that lower price. But the new owner is gonna have the benefit of that new lower price going forward. So it's perfectly reasonable to adjust your SDE as if every unit of those sunglasses you'd bought for the last 12 months was at the new lower price, immediately boosting your SDE or your profit, if you like. When you do that across multiple products, that can add significant amounts of money to the value of your business because it then compounds after we multiply the SDE by the multiple. Here's another one for you. Um, Let's say uh, four months ago, you actually increased the price that you sell your sunglasses for. And when you did that, you didn't see a drop in sales. They stayed the same or went up, perhaps because customers now view your product as being more premium or you've recently gone viral, something like that. Well, the new owner is going to have the benefit of selling the products at that new higher price point. So it's reasonable for us to adjust as if you'd always sold them at the higher price point. That's just two examples. There's a, a ton yep. of really um, uh, sophisticated adjustments that can be done when you work with the right expert. And so you 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 take you know you might believe your your net profit is is whatever, but actually after you've gone through the right process with an with an, an expert to add back and adjust, the true value of your business is boosted. And so then we multiply that by a multiple and the multiple in e-commerce is at the moment anywhere between about two and a half, all the way up to seven, seven is pretty rare. And it really depends That's quite on quite a, a
0: vast difference, right?
1: Yeah. It really depends on a whole variety of factors. Um, you know, how much intellectual property do you have around your business? How long has it, has it existed? Uh, what are your sales numbers? Uh, how diversified are you? I mentioned, you know, all those diversification aspects earlier. So like, say you're doing a hundred grand in SDE. So uh, for, just to avoid confusion, more or less your profit plus your ad backs and adjustments. Yep. And your business is two years old. It's reasonably diversified. It's growing. You can probably get between, you know, three and a half and four X. Um, on the other hand, if your SDE is 500,000, with massive off Amazon sales, lots of intellectual property. Maybe you've got patents. Uh, You're seeing enormous growth. Uh, It's five years old. You're probably looking at more like four and a half to six. And so what's really exciting there, right? Is it's not just a case of, oh, um, I've got a hundred grand STE and I can multiply it by three and sell it for for 300,000. And if I have 500 grand STE, I can multiply it by three and sell it for one and a half million. It's actually, not only as the SDE goes up, your multiple goes up as well. So it's a compounding effect. So rather yep. than multiplying that 500 by the three, you're more like multiplying the 500 by the four and a half or five, which yep. is getting really, you know, that's when it gets really exciting.
0: Nice. Are there, so this this is getting fairly detailed for some of these maths is as poor as mine, Ben. But are there any resources that we could point people to? because um, I want to keep this pushing forward. Is there anything yeah, we could send? We uh, could like, just say, look, go to this site link or check out this yep, guide, uh, and then everyone tuning in can go and
1: work it out for themselves. Yep, go to econbrokers.co.uk slash ebook, and there's there a free go. ebook on how to uh, get, prepare your business for sale.
0: Awesome, awesome. That's great. So with with that kind of um, calculation in mind, and it's, like you said, I appreciate it's going to vary for each business to business, but hopefully your guide can help them along the way. Um, once we've worked that out and I guess once we actually know the, what our business is worth now, where we realistically want to get to, um, it's a case of making that happen following those golden rules that we talked about at the start Mm. to, to actually see that revenue, that sales growth. What's the process we need to consider when it actually comes to, we think we're, we're at a spot, we've hit the calculation we need to get to what's the process we need to go down to actually sell. Is it as easy as just chucking it online um finding a broker and, and jobs are good in or is there a is there a bit more to it
1: um it, it sort of is as easy as that um let me explain there are there are several ways you can sell it um sure you could approach a buyer directly maybe a competitor of yours or maybe um one of the uh, many uh aggregators who've emerged in the last 18, 24 months in the e-commerce space who are rolling up e-commerce brands into their portfolio to exit later on, or they might approach you. And a lot of e-commerce business owners right now are getting approached by these aggregators. Um, they're scraping, um, they're scraping Shopify, they're scraping WordPress, they're scraping Amazon, Etsy, et cetera, to find business owners. And they're, they're sending cold outreach emails and letters saying, we, we really like your business. We'd love to buy it from you. In reality, they know nothing about your business. It's just, uh, you know, they're just throwing as many. I was going to say, we get two board. or three of those scraped emails a day. <laughs> yeah, and initially it seems wonderful. It's very exciting. You know, you've put your heart and soul into your business. You've cried down the phone to uh, to Amazon seller support. You've you've worked hard on your Facebook ads, and um, suddenly somebody wants to offer you quite a lot of money for your business. But unfortunately, when you deal directly with with a buyer like that. Um, you're going to end up selling your business for far less than it's really worth and on terms that suits them and not you. And it's really hard work to try and sell it yourself. They will basically dangle a carrot in front of you that's probably quite a lot of money, maybe more money than you ever dreamed of having. But in reality, your business isn't worth a carrot. It's worth a whole sack of carrots, which is why you need, really need to take it through a, a proper process to get it ready right. for sale. Okay. So in response to the that model... The other option that emerged was flipping it. So there's quite a lot of websites now, which will say that they can flip your business, which I think is um, almost disrespectful to, to say take someone's hard, hard work um, and say that we're going to flip it rather than carefully sell it. And so what they do is they effectively list your website um, on their, their site, almost like the eBay of businesses. Right. And ultimately you will still end up working directly with a, with a buyer and uh the valuation that you get will be poor because these flipper services uh, don't offer a very uh, sophisticated or bespoke service to actually calculate what your business is truly worth because they're working at quite a scale and it's not accountants that are doing that work. Their fees are very high and the service is not very um, hands-on. So in response to that model, another model emerged whereby uh, consultants uh, offer to work with you. So they'll also reach out to you and they'll say, hey, I can sell your business and I'll only take 4 or 5%. Um, the problem with these guys is they're double dipping. So um, they'll say, I'll only take 4 or 5%, but with such a low fee, they can't really be doing very much work. So what they do is they, they just email a list of hundreds of potential buyers and see who wants to buy it and take a, a, a referral kickback off the buyer, you know, upwards of 50 grand. Um, and that 50 grand should have been paid to you, right? The buyer's just taken it out of what they would have paid you for your business. So the better option is to take it through a mature process with a qualified broker, um, which is what happens in every other industry, right? If you want to sell your bricks and mortar shop, you work with a broker, but e-commerce we're in a new wild west of mergers and acquisitions in e-commerce. It's only become mainstream in the last 18 months to sell your online, uh, business. Um, so ideally you wanna work with a broker who's got experience on all sides, they're business owners who understand e-commerce, they are uh, M&A experts and they're accountants. And the reason it's so important to work with experts like that is that when we I spoke about the calculation before, when you get that right, you can add six or seven figures to the value of your business. If you think about how many different um, configurations there might be of adding back all those costs um, with your with your products that i mentioned yeah ben quick one Go so
0: you you mentioned we need to find a qualified broker and you've obviously get listed the the positives and negatives of each route to, to market of each option when it comes to selling but for someone that's completely fresh to this perhaps they've got an econ business that's doing pretty well and they want to scope out someone who's going to be qualified who's professional is going to do a good job and sell their business for what it's worth are there a, is there a checklist so we don't basically screw ourselves over is there anything we should look for, whether that's accreditations, whether that's questions to ask um, mm. before we agree to actually pick this specialist, this broker, whoever it may be, to to sell our, our business for us?
1: Yep. Um, so I'll be asking about their uh, experience in e-commerce. There's a lot of brokers out there who um, have traditionally worked in bricks and mortars, have no e-commerce experience, and are now kind of almost... Trying to sell shovels to the gold rush, but actually uh, don't really understand how it's how this this industry works. So they need to right. have e-commerce experience. They need to have be, be accountants as well. Um, so the a lot of these flipper services uh, essentially have trained um, freelancers and virtual assistants to uh, go into your the back end of Shopify or WooCommerce, log into your QuickBooks or your Zero. Uh, go into your Amazon seller central and pull out reports, put them in a Google sheet and slap a value on it. That is not um, the proper process. So um, they they need to have accountants who understand the sophisticated details of how to value a business and how to uh, appropriately adjust the financials. And then they need to have serious mergers and acquisitions experience so that they know how to market your business to a pool of the right buyers rather than just slap it on a website. So they need to cast a wide net to find buyers because your buyers could be all sorts of different people. They could be your competitors. They could be private individuals. They could be e-commerce aggregators. They could be big boy private equity or family office. And the broker needs to do the work to find the buyer to earn their commission rather than just letting it gather dust on a website or pinging off an email to a hundred people they know.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So appreciate we're coming up for time, Ben. Um. Is there anything else we need to consider? We need to bear in mind when it comes to actually the deal, the structure. Um, does it tend to be cash in one lump sum, which would be lovely, or is it usually a bit more to it?
1: Um, if you've gone through a great process and you have a competitive environment, so you've got several several potential buyers looking to buy your business, then you can push for quite a lot of cash up front between you know, 70 17 and 100%. Some sellers will want to actually have a bit of an earn out because they can see where the business is going. Some sellers will prefer to sell it all up front. But suppose you sell, you know, eighty percent upfront, or you sell the whole business, but you get eighty percent cash upfront at closing. You're likely to have uh, a stability payment uh, after about a year, which is basically provided the business hits the same revenue that it did in the previous twelve months. We'll give Got you that. this extra chunk, and then another chunk on an earnout uh, in one or two years, usually, depending on the how the business continues to perform. And it's up to the seller. Um, to, to and and the broker and the attorney that the broker connects the seller with to really negotiate hard because the buyer will present a deal that's really skewed only in their favor. And it's really important that this is brought back to the middle to something that's a lot fairer and realistic so that the seller can really get that, you know, that full sack of carrots that they deserve rather than the one measly carrot that was dangled to begin with. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So usually it's it's typically um, a, a decent percentage chunk initially. And yep. then there's new, usually like a one year agreement or however long that term is, as long as we hit this revenue agreed, then we'll pay yep. out the remaining 20, 30%, yep. whatever that may be.
1: Yeah. But the need, and this is again where working with a good broker and the right um, solicitor will really help is that the deal needs to be tight so that the seller's protected. Because if the new owners don't run the, the thing properly and they go out of stock, for example, well, it's not yep. fair that the, the the seller then misses the earnout target. So there need to be provisions in the contract to account for that type of thing. We like to put provisions in contracts so that sellers can get read-only access to everywhere the products are being sold, so they can actually flag things up before they become an issue. That's because smart. you know, in supply chain at the new owner at half past four on a Friday afternoon doesn't care about your earnout, but you do. So if you can flag these issues early, you can avoid them. Yeah, that's where that type of thing is really important. There's lots of other provisions that that when you work with the right people. Will be put into the contract. Whereas, if you just accept the contract that was put under your nose by the buyer when they approached you cold, it's going to be a really poor deal, and you could miss out on six, seven figures.
0: That's great. That's that's something I, I guess most people wouldn't even consider. Certainly I certainly I wouldn't. So make it. Yeah, and sure I don't that- blame them because they
1: haven't sold a business before. Well, You yeah. don't know. What you don't know. <laughs> um, that's it. But the, the the thing that's really important to to remember is when we're running our business, we use experts all the time. We get expert photographers, expert copywriters, expert translators, expert developers, expert PPC consultants. And yet, when it comes to selling our business, the most valuable asset we have, a lot of people think, oh, I'll do it myself so I can avoid paying a broker commission. But actually, a good broker will earn you multiple times over their commission because that's the whole point of why they exist, right?
0: Good man. Ben, very informative, very interesting. Really appreciate your time, dude. Thanks very Pleasure. much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. It's been um, it's been great for myself, and I'm sure everyone tuning in. So with that, please tell us more about how we can learn from you, how we can connect with you, and the best way to get in touch with yourself and your business.
1: Absolutely. Well, uh, I'm here to help, and I'm on all the main social media channels, including LinkedIn, so just look up Ben Leonard. Uh, you can go to our website directly, ecombrokers.co.uk, and click on the button Value My Business, and we'll get the ball rolling on finding out what your business is worth. And you can email me, Ben, at ecombrokers.co.uk. And
0: I'm always here to help. Good, man. Thanks once again, Ben. Really appreciate it. We're going to put all those links over at the website, businessgrowth.marketing. And with that, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, do hit that subscribe button. We interview business leaders each and every week, and we share actionable marketing tips to grow your business and grow your revenue. And with that, we should catch you on the next one. Are you tired of hunting for clients?